You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into a new episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you, breaking down the latest in Nittany Lions news. It's going to be a recruiting-heavy episode here as we start off a new week in July. And Alan True is going to join us to help break down the latest Penn State commitment. That came on Friday from Jamari Budden, a four-star linebacker, a player who actually got another accolade just this week. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But Alan, as he always does, going to break things down on the Michigan recruiting scene, and that has been important for Penn State. Four of their 13 pledges in the 2021 recruiting class are out of Michigan, specifically the Detroit area. Allen, a 24-7 sports national recruiting analyst based in Michigan, offers some great perspective there. we hear that conversation in a bit. We're going to get to some key recruiting developments that have taken place during recent days, how they impact Penn State, and of course, five-star mailbag. Already got a peek at a couple of those questions we're jumping into, so also recruiting related there as well so Sean it's been a little while since we had a chance to kind of just sink our teeth into strictly recruiting for an episode it feels like this is the right time and again uh, we broke down that entire commitment on the Friday's episode but we're happy to have Alan on a little bit later absolutely there's a lot going on in the state of Michigan and in the Midwest as we'll get to uh, later with a 2022 story that was kind of made our Friday fun um, but uh, yeah, getting Alan back on, he's very uh, well versed in there. And and let's see, Tim Banks has done a phenomenal job. I think we can start there. I mean, just in terms of what he's been able to do in Detroit and the surrounding areas just to get Penn State some buzz there. And, you know, those relationships are paying off. I saw a tweet this morning from the Belleville head coach who very complimentary of, of Tim Banks. And, you know, when you can get People in, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, a position of power to get on board with what you're doing out there and and sort of publicize what you're doing out there. And you know, you're you're not going to build your class out of Michigan, your entire class out of Michigan, or anything like that. But you're going to, you know, take a little, uh, you know, just find a crack in the armor and go with that one. So uh, you you can do that with Michigan, with Michigan State. Obviously, Michigan State's down. Michigan, as we said uh, last week, recruiting pretty well. For, uh, you know, after. You know, a weird start. It was it, they got some top of the board type guys, just like really, really good guys, and then some guys that you kind of raised an eyebrow out. And they've done that in the past and ended up dumping them at the, in the long run. But you know, the, the the Michigan class has rebounded. We mentioned that strong linebacker class. You know, Penn State has 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 done well there. The King brothers seem to be on the rise uh, in terms. You know, they went to some camps and turned some heads. Jalen Reed's probably the guy that's uh, you know the star out there, and then you add Budden, who's uh, you know there's a lot to like about Budden as a prospect. So continue building on that. See if you can get to the next cycle. See if you can get to uh, you know sort of expand that uh, that footprint out there. And like I said. Tim, Tim Banks out there, you're not going to find too many more uh, respected uh, college coaches out there than Tim Banks. And, you know, they've put some effort into it. Terry Smith's been out there. Some other people, Brent Pry's been out there. And really, it's it's sort of come full circle for them. So now you got to keep them. You got to, you know, keep those guys up and, and make those guys the centerpiece of uh, your recruiting class because they're out there trying to help along with guys like Landon Tangwall and Christian Veyu. Um But yeah, so far, I mean, for all that's gone you know, seemingly wrong in this cycle for Penn State, Detroit and the surrounding areas has gone very right for Tim Banks and those guys. Each of those four prospects going to play on the defensive side of the football at Penn State follows in line with what we've seen lately coming out of Michigan to Happy Valley. Enzo Jennings, a safety, a Bryce Mostella defensive end, Lance Dixon, a five-star linebacker in the 2019 class and four more defenders out of Detroit coming your way. Alan's going to talk about that, the momentum, what it means for Penn State, maybe what it means for for Michigan and Michigan State. That's certainly something I'm sure Alan's been hearing from fan bases there as well about Penn State coming in and taking some of that talent. Um, We'll get to Alan in a little bit later. What else is going on in the 2021 recruiting cycle? 
Well, certainly no visits as we've covered in depth on this show a lot. The uh, the ordinary is out the window for this 2021 recruiting cycle. Um, and Sean kind of mentioned this a little bit on Friday when we were breaking down some of the next steps for the 2021 class with Button on board, with 13 guys on board. And you're getting a sense right now across the nation and certainly here on the Penn State beat with some of the targets we've been monitoring that due to the fact that we're seeing high school football either postponed to the spring or, or essentially put on hold for the fall, uh, that plus the, plus looking very unlikely that, that official visits are going to be prevalent during the season. I'm waiting for an announcement there from the NCAA on, on, on probably extending their ban on, on visits beyond August. I think that combination is encouraging quite a few prospects, and we'll get to a couple of them in a moment, to say, you know what? It's going to be a preseason decision. This isn't the way I envisioned my my recruitment process playing out. I thought I'd be taking official visits during the course of the fall or even in the spring, coming to a, a general consensus with my family based on all that information. But it's not at my disposal. I'm not playing football this fall. Let's knock this out. And we're starting to see steadily August commitment dates line up and there's going to be a few that impact the Nittany Lions. Yeah, you, you feel for um, those 2021 kids because they've had the cycle taken from them. Now they're going to get uh, some of them are going to have their senior seasons taken from them. Jeffrey Davis up in New England talked to him yesterday. Uh, he's a January enrollee, so it really doesn't change much with that. Um, you know, to, if they come back and say, let's play in the spring, I don't think he's going to turn around and say, okay, well, I'm going to hold off on, on enrolling in college to, to play a, a senior season of high school prep ball. But you never know. Stranger things have happened. I think it's really interesting. And I talked to some college coaches this week about things like Tony Grimes reclassifying to the 2020 class. I don't really see that happening, at least on Penn State's um, side of things. I don't know, number one, I don't know that there are guys that are going to step in and, and you know use that year because it's a very tough decision. If you're a guy like Tony Grimes and you're going to North Carolina, which, you know, the talent level on that roster as, it, you know, they're recruiting very well, but the talent level on that roster is not where he's going to step in and have, you know, be able to step in and be the guy from day one. Um, so I, I think that that's a situation that's very well removed from from Penn State's commit list, actually. So um, it, it takes a special person to step in there because essentially a lot of these guys that would make that decision are going to end up redshirting anyway. So where's the value in that? You know, there's more value in, in you know, staying, finishing up your high school requirements, which, you know, let's be honest, at this point in the process, it's pretty tough for you to figure out if you can get into a college by August in what should be your senior year of high school. So there's that aspect. And then there's the aspect of when you come in and play, where are you going to be? I mean, you look at Penn state's class and guys that might be there, guys that might be able to, to make that decision academically, a guy like Christian Veyu, why, why would you come in and, and sit behind Sean Clifford and, and Will Levis waste a year of eligibility when you could, you know, essentially come in in January, come in uh, next summer or next spring and, you know, keep that extra year. So I think that's where the dilemma is. You're going to see more January enrollees because of this. Um, but from, from Penn State perspective, I don't see anybody, you know, just upping and saying, okay, I'm just going to skip my entire senior year and see if I can get there in camp and see if I can make a dent in this depth chart. Because, you know, g given the talent level of this roster, I, I don't see it happening. With a guy like Tony Grimes, you're talking about a, a, an athlete who had Power 5 offers before his first freshman game of high school, number one cornerback in 24-7 sports composite rankings, in the conversation as maybe the, the, the top overall defender in the class. So what this does to me, for him, regardless of how it goes, if North Carolina even can play football this fall, it means that Tony Grimes has put himself in a spot to become a millionaire in 2023 versus having to wait until 2024. I think that's the one thing that you do look at long term. Uh, that draft eligibility clock starts ticking a year ahead of time. But I think overall, you know, what concerns me here as we see different states shut it down or push off their spring season, uh, the, the football season into the spring is you're now looking at for, for the vast majority of, of, of college recruits in the 2021 class, you're looking at the process aspect of two falls without football because you're looking at likely a red shirt season in 2021 when they get to campus for the majority again there will be exceptions certainly there'll be exceptions at Penn State but for the many that didn't play as as high school seniors uh, because of the situation we're all dealing with that's two years away from the football field so you just hope that whether it's with individual trainers whether it's with their teammates whatever they're able to do on a community level staying sharp 
there's a lot to lose at that age, 16, 17 years old, spending two years away from the football field. Clearly, when you're within a college football program like Penn State, even if you're not burning that red shirt, you're still actively engaged on the scout team, you're on the practice field. That's a lot different than simply sitting out as a high school senior and just watching the clock and waiting for your chance to get to campus. And, you know, it, it, it that I don't know how much that will benefit you. Being, being enrolled, being, going through the practices in the, in the weight room within that system already. I understand where the motivation might be, but that's a lot to figure out the academics of, of, of reclassifying. I can't imagine what goes into that at this point. I know SATs and, and standardized tests have become more of a prevalent issue facing uh, high schoolers across the board because of this current situation. But in my mind, you know, there's just a, an overall danger for the 2021 recruiting class because I think we're gonna we're gonna come to 2022, and for a lot of them, we're gonna say, okay, when's the last time we played live action football? We're gonna have to go all the way back to, to last fall, the 2019 year. Uh, you know, that I think that can be damaging to development. Yeah, and I mean they're gonna fall behind and then all of a sudden get, you know, passed by the next group, end up in the portal. Yeah, I, I, and that's obviously a, a broad you know, painting with a broad brush. Um, but I'm certainly certain it's gonna happen to some people. What's interesting about uh this situation is Tony Grimes is going in as a corner. Um as you know, if just from watching and, and seeing the people that, that we've seen play as a freshman, the further you are away from the football, the better chance that you have of coming in and, and playing that early. You know, uh, hypothetically, you look at last year, I mean, Devin Ford played, Brandon Smith played, you know, but but Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson are the two guys that we, you know, sort of pointed at as corners that could play. Um, Noah Kane, of course, and Adisa Isaac were the, the other guys that played. But the further away you get from the football, I don't want to say it's less responsibility, less to take on, but you're not a quarterback. You're certainly not a lineman. Um, you know, you, you very, very rarely can a lineman step in as a true freshman, let alone would be a high school senior and step in and play. So I think that has a big uh, to do with it. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with some of these guys, but it really just doesn't make sense. Um, and and then, then you get into, you know, scholarship opportunity. You know, it, it, are guys capped? Do you have to make a loophole for guys that come in in January? Say, say they move the spring, the season to the spring, which I don't really expect to happen right now. But, you know, guys that come in mid-year, wh- what – what happens to their scholarship? I mean, you, you do you have to stay under 85 at that point? Do you have to, um, you know, make a rule that says their scholarships don't go don't go on the books until uh, the following year? I don't know. It doesn't doesn't really make a ton of sense. Um, but you're not going to stop those guys from from enrolling in January just because of of that rule. So uh, a lot going on, no doubt. Um, a lot going on on Penn State's board. Elliot Donald set to announce on Friday. I, I still think it's Pitt. I mean, it's just there's so many things that just draw him to Pitt and. And this is a situation I had a question on my chat about guys that Penn State recruited very well, but didn't get for for whatever circumstances, maybe guys that Penn State shouldn't have even been in the mix on and, and recruited very well. I think Elliot Donald's kind of in that boat. I mean, you look at his last name, it goes a long way, especially when it comes to pit football. Um, but I think Penn State's done a good job staying in the mix. Uh, just probably a little bit too much to overcome with Elliot Donald. We'll continue to watch that one all week long just because... You know, he's he's been really, really good with the Penn State staff. But at the end of the day, Aaron Donald's nephew, you got to think Pitt. Right. Pittsburgh uh, would love to keep this has been their priority in this class. It feels like, you know, since his freshman year, the getting this kid to campus and and you've seen so much on social media uh, with him retweeting things that Pitt puts up there about uh, his uncle, Aaron Donald. And yeah, it, 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 this has been in the works for a while and Penn State has made their push. And this is the top 10 defensive tackle prospect. When you look at the composite rankings, um, he's a little bit beyond that. When you look at just strictly 24 seven sports evaluation, but you know, another top 10 talent in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, we've talked about this cycle. Those have been few and far between and, and, and Penn State uh, picking up the, the top end of the Pennsylvania class and uh, Donovan McMillan uh, was another example there. He committed to the Florida Gators. Was that was that Saturday he did that? Uh, something that we, we it's a name that we haven't mentioned here in a couple of weeks because he moved on from Penn State. He put out a top list, but for a while, early early summer, late spring, Donovan McMillan, that big time riser in Pennsylvania, we talked about. He's now he- he's now heading to the SEC, 
Elliot Donald, another name we've talked about in state. Um, and and with his with his size, six foot two, two hundred and fifty, I, I think you know he draws interest on, on a couple spots in the defensive line, but probably ends up on the interior, and, and that's where we see Kelvin Gilliam ending up as well. Similar stature to Elliot Donald, a, a bit bigger at six foot three, two hundred and fifty plus pounds. Um, and, and with Gilliam, he's committing August 22nd. So that gives you a little bit more time. But I wrote something up uh, yesterday, Sean, on the website. I certainly got some response up on lines247.com about the uh, basically the acceleration of Kevin Gilliam. And I think this is a prime example of uh, a guy reading the tea leaves, seeing that visits probably aren't going to happen this fall as much as that was important to him. And he made that extremely clear when we spoke just in, uh, in mid-June. Uh, those visits were going to happen. And then... Uh, uh, then an announcement would happen. So maybe December, no longer the case. He's going to be announcing August 22nd. And, you know, right now it's just hard to get a read on this situation because Penn State did host him in January. Oklahoma's got some buzz around them. Um, you know, he's got Florida, South Carolina, Texas. Uh, those are some other schools he had mentioned uh, that, that had stood out to him and consistently recruiting him. Um, you know, one thing to me is if, if John Scott was on board in January when he did visit and they had the opportunity to, to be on campus together, I think that probably carries things further along for you uh, if you're the Nittany Lions. But remember, that was a late staff move. The John Scott Jr. wasn't on board until mid-February, which is, again, that's very late uh, when we're talking about the overall college football staff shuffle that goes on in the winter. That's usually done by, by mid to late January. Spencer got that offer and, and, and couldn't turn it down. The, I think the final day of January was when that broke going off to the NFL. Um, and, and I think overall continues the theme of, of John Scott Jr., Hey, welcome to campus. Two weeks later, no one can join us here on campus, and and we're all scattered to the wind. And you know, Gilliam, I, this is a question you're getting a lot. Certainly, a question I've been getting. What do you? What's the read here? I'm not doom and gloom here with Kelvin Gilliam. I think you can see the crystal ball. Uh, it, it doesn't reflect much at all. It's a two-month-old pick for for Oklahoma uh, from our Sooners insider Brandon Drum. It's a five out of ten on the confidence meter. You know, maybe there's a wave of, 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 of picks in that crystal ball that point elsewhere from Penn State. But until I see that, um, you know, I think this is one that he's still mulling over. This is, a, again, an entire month away. It's not like he said a commitment for next Wednesday. He's got a month to figure this thing out. He's been a really engaged young man on the recruiting trail doing his diligence. And, and I know it probably really hurt him to pull the plug on the aspirations to make those official visits because it sounded like that was going to be a really important part of his checklist and narrowing this thing down. But as we've said, I think Gilliam slam dunk, a top 10 prospect remaining on the target board for Penn State. I think you can make a case for him being inside the top five. And if he's off the board somewhere else and Elliot Donald ends up with Pitt, we continue to have a lot of questions on what's next for the defensive line recruiting in 2021. I, I just think of that meme with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin flipping off Shawn Michaels, and he's just like, "What? what's going on? And I think of John Scott when I think of that, because that's the situation that he's put in. He's like, I I, I didn't sign up for this. Kevin Gillian uh, visited in, on January 18th. Shawn Spencer then leaves. Doesn't get a chance uh, to, you know, John Scott doesn't get a chance to get him or any defensive lineman on campus before, um, you know, he's the, before the shutdown. And, you know, that's uh, it's reflected in the commitment list right now. So I, I, I agree with you. I don't I've certainly not written this one off to, to Oklahoma at all. I know some people are feel fairly strongly about that, but I, I really don't. I think Penn State is. You know, firmly in the mix. I don't think Gilliam's made a decision yet. And, and when he does, I think Penn State's, you know, going to be right there. Will they be the choice? I mean, we've seen some strange things this, uh, this cycle, but, you know, a lot of the logic points point to Penn State. Now, of course, we've seen this cycle. They've thrown out the logic points. So we will see what happens with Kelvin Gilliam. I'm, I'm certainly not ready to write this off. I don't think that that's, um, you know, a fair, uh, judgment of this situation at this point in time, but uh, you know we'll, we'll, we'll sit around and see what happens. Uh, when you get to defensive tackle, it's a uh, it's a board that we've said for a while that there's a lot of guys on there. Of course, George Rooks is is the guy that we look to um, probably is the number one outside of Gilliam, just uh, in terms of body type, in terms of guys that uh, you know can fill that role. Um, other guys have had offers in the past, but I you know it's, it's very much uh, down on the board for guys like Dorian Ford and, and Jay. 
because somebody asked me about James Gillespie in my chat. I honestly could see them moving in a different direction, offering somebody else. Again, I'm going to stump for Robert Jackson here out of Archbishop Wood. I like him a lot. The tapes that I've seen just scream uh, defensive tackle to me. Um, and I know we have him rated as a defensive end. We've talked about him as a defensive end, but this kid's 6'5", 260 right now. I, bad news for him. He's not going to be a defensive end in college. So um, I, I, that's a guy that I keep looking to. And, you know, just maybe just based off of guys that I've seen in the past, I could see him continue to, to move in that trend. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Gilliam's still firmly in play, and, and they're going to ride that one until uh, until they can anymore. Jackson's a guy that I had a chance to speak with in June and you know, just, just kind of tapping him on the shoulder, wondering where Penn State stood with him. They had not offered. They still have not offered. And at that point, at least, there was really very little communication between him and the Nittany Lions staff. Um, this is a situation where if you are to, to turn to new targets on your board and what you've got isn't working and, and you've got to find some, some new guys to put offers out to, you know, do you end up in a situation where it's another, yeah, but he hasn't visited? Or do you kind of retread and go back to a guy that, you know, months ago you couldn't see yourself offering? Now you've in, endured through this coronavirus shutdown. Your options have been limited in terms of what you could review and and assess on the camp circuit, especially on your home practice field. And here you are. And do you kind of reassess without any new information? It's not like the kid's gone out there and uh, dominated any kind of camps or anything like that. But do you reassess on a kid and say, he may not have been good enough for us in February, but right now uh, he may be a guy that we need to take a, a longer look at. Um, I, I don't obviously every scholarship is valuable, and, and that's not something that you want to do on a consistent basis. But does Penn State maybe have to go back to the drawing board again? This is under the under the premise that they end up without both Gilliam and Donald. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's a very good question. Uh, I mean it, it it spills over into other positions because of the space that they have left right now. And you look at a guy like Demon Harmon, who's supposed to announce on on August first, and you know Penn State's still in the mix, and he's still been good with them. But you know Oklahoma's right there, South Carolina with Gilliam, Oklahoma, South Carolina, uh, Florida, maybe even a little bit of LSU in there as well. Um, but I mean when you take it take into account that you know there's probably uh, let's let's say six or seven spots left um, in this class. You still need uh, on the offensive line, Nolan Rucci and Diego Pounds still out there. Still no tight end or running back in this class. Uh, still a huge need at defensive end. Uh, still need a defensive tackle. Dejon Warren, Derek Davis still on the board in the secondary along with Harmon. So, there, you know, there's a bunch of targets out there that are kind of spread out. And that's probably a good thing when you talk about what's, uh, you know, building the makeup of this class. You're not all focused on one position. So um, we'll see what, see what happens with it. It should be interesting. Uh, you talked to uh, Katravian Hargrove um, out of Louisiana, the the former Louisiana Tech uh, running back commitment that has sort of blown up lately. And Penn State's one of the reasons why he backed out of his commitment. Jaden Thomas, uh, we talked to the top, put Penn State in his top five. Really don't see that one happening. And, and of course, you can add wide receiver back to my uh my previous point as well so a lot of positions out there a lot of guys out there you'd like to have a, a little bit more um i guess st- in terms of where you stand right now but uh you know there's certainly options out there you just gotta stop missing on these guys this is maybe the the biggest wild card name to pop up for us lately uh, is katravian hargrove uh out of ruston louisiana louisiana tech was his choice back in in mid-spring and then all of a sudden three power five offers come in a span of weeks pretty soon after that uh penn state south carolina florida state those are the three programs that are on his mind right now um and and at the end of the day encourage him and his family to sit down and say maybe louisiana tech isn't the right landing spot considering some of these more high profile opportunities um here's the thing though hargrove is a is a great case study in this recruiting cycle because he blew up right around the time where everything was shutting down or already had been shut down. He had a heck of a junior year, 2000 total yards, 26 touchdowns, I believe. And, and by the time, you know, uh, word circulated to the point where power five programs were, were offering, um, and those dominoes were falling, he couldn't visit anywhere and he still can't visit anywhere. And so it's, I told you yesterday when we were on a phone call, you know, new staple of, of any kind of conversation I'm having with a 2021 prospect at this point, you've got to throw in, 
are you willing and are you comfortable with committing to a college that you have never visited? Because that is becoming part of the conversation. And the further along we get without the resumption of campus visits, the closer we're going to get to the early signing period uh, with that hanging over every recruitment. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be few and far between where you find a guy who puts out five finalists. And at this stage, because of how things have, have evolved, has actually visited all five of those schools. You mentioned Damon uh, Harmon, the teammates with uh, Kel- Kelvin Gilliam down at Highland Springs High School in Virginia. He's got Penn State in his final five. He's approaching that August 1st decision. He's only visited one of those final five. I mean, so there's there's a chance he's he's gonna you know go that route, and and Hargrove said straight up, if that's the the path he has to take, he's willing to do it. He's gonna have to rely on virtual visits, virtual tours, um, and, and find that right fit. But uh, it, it is a it's a brave new world when we're having those kind of conversations, um, and you just wonder if 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 we'll be able to shake that off or. Or if that's going to, to spell kind of disaster for roster building across college football in the next couple of years because uh, guys made those decisions and, and got to campus and it just wasn't a complete process that led them there and, and they may be led off campus sooner rather than later. But with Hargrove, uh, you know, I like a lot about what this kid brings to a game. His game, he's, he's a slippery runner. Uh, he's a kid who, who says he's working on being able to, to truck you a little bit too with some physicality. I think right now, uh, what, what pops out is really his elusiveness on the football field and uh, some impressive junior season highlights up there from his year at Ruston. Um, this is a position that we've spent a lot of time saying there's Donovan Edwards in Michigan. Eh, we'll see. There's Amari Daniels down in Miami. We'll see. And now here's another one to throw in there uh, with Hargrove. And, and it's 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 more open-ended maybe than, than any of the recruitments I, I've dealt with because he's simply trying to find a landing spot without actually have ever, you know, navigating that course before. So I, I don't know. I don't know, Sean. And this is a prime example of, of where you kind of get off the call and you say, this is not the normal recruiting conversations that we typically have. Yeah. When, when I go out to eat or when I used to go out to eat, uh, you know, it, it, it was a stretch to, to get something even just based off a picture on a menu or, you know, you want to see it, you want to see the waitress walk by with it before you say, okay, I like that. Think of that, you know, times about, 10,000, uh, because these guys are going to be choo- choosing their futures based off of virtual visits, based off of stuff that you see on a screen, based off of phone calls and things like that. So I do not envy this class, um, or not, not just this class. You look at, uh, 2022, it's happened as well. It almost happened to Penn State at the end of the week last week. And it's just a fascinating situation we dove into on Lions 24-7 last, uh, Friday because Jerry Cross, top 247 tight end out of Wisconsin said, Hey, I'm ready to announce. I'm ready to get going. And, you know, through the grapevine and actually kind of through dumb luck, we found out, oh, Penn State's going to be the choice. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's an interesting situation because, you know, this isn't a, a longstanding relationship. This isn't a guy that's been to campus multiple times. This isn't a guy that, you know, you've really associated with with Penn State. And I think that the, the relationship, you know, is it's started to take root it started to bud but it's not a full-fledged relationship and all of a sudden he wants to end it that's a funny situation man because uh you know you 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 don't want to tell a kid like that no but at the same time you've got to make sure that you know offers are one thing but commitments taking a guy into your program seeing that he aligns with it seeing that you know you can eventually get him into school seeing that you can eventually put him in your locker room with the other guys seeing that uh, you know his family all this kind of stuff there's so many questions that need to be answered commitments are you know a conversation that happens but it's not just one conversation that happens it's something that you know sort of builds and builds and builds and by the time the kid decides and this is why the crystal ball is usually pretty accurate uh the, by the time the kid decides then you know you you have a very good idea of what he's thinking what he's doing and what the process has looked like for him this was a situation where jerry cross was just going to you basically call up Penn State and say, hey, I want to come. Uh, that's a tough situation to be in for a staff, especially when you consider he's a kid from out of state. He's a kid that's never been to campus. Your policy of you want kids that commit and don't take visits after, well, this kid hasn't taken any visits uh, you know, since – last fall essentially now what's going to happen when it does open up so you you've got to take so many things into account here especially for a a position like tight end where you typically only take one guy so if you take this guy 
uh, right now and very well may, you know, he says he wants to make a decision in a couple weeks, very well could see it be Penn State then, but you have to sort of get all your ducks in a row, figure out what you're going to do, because if you take this guy and we saw it last year with Nick Elksness, all of a sudden your tight end recruiting has to go on the back burner for some of these other guys because you want to keep your your current commitment happy. And that's not always the best situation to be in. So it's going to be fascinating to see how Jerry Cross plays out. Um, like I said, I feel pretty confident that Penn State uh, is the team to beat. I know they were definitely the, the team that he was going to uh, announce for on Friday, but sometimes you got to tap the brakes. I mean, this is not a, a situation where, you know, you're turning away someone because he's not good enough or you're not turning or you're turning him away because you don't, you know, you don't like him. But this is a situation where you've got to have those conversations and make sure that everybody's on the same page before that final commitment comes out. Jerry Cross, six foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds, about halfway through his high school football career, top ten tight end in the twenty twenty two class. A bunch of Big Ten offers. Wisconsin viewed as the primary uh, contender here with Penn State, Iowa, Michigan among the others, and. I just don't know what would inspire a rising junior to announce a commitment at this point. I, I, you know, this isn't a kid at risk of, of missing out on opportunities based on kind of the profile I just read, read to you. Don't think that's going to change for him. I feel like you'd have to really, really, really be in love with a, with the situation and truly feel like that campus could be your home to entertain the idea right now to commit before your junior year of high school during a pandemic, you know, Matthias Barnwell, Mega Barnwell, I know he committed really early in the 2023 cycle. He's been to Penn State a few times. He's sat in the seats of Beaver Stadium uh, during a whiteout game. He he has had a lot of in-person conversations with the staff. Jerry Cross, on the other hand, that hasn't happened. And, and you just, you know, you hope that he's getting good advice here uh, along the way. And you hope that the coaching staffs that are dealing with him at the college level, including Penn State, are being transparent about how they feel and, and about how they hope he feels if he truly is ready to make a commitment at this stage of his high school career. Um, elsewhere in the 2022 cycle, a name that we have been keeping tabs on for a while, he got an offer back as a freshman, um, and, and that is Caden Saunders, a wide receiver, um, very close to to Ohio State. He's about 15 miles away uh, from Ohio Stadium. Has never gotten that Buckeyes offer. They, they have asked him for some defensive back tape. They are still engaged. But Penn State for a while now has has been viewed as the uh, a team to beat, if not the team to beat, depending on when you talk to Caden Sanders during his career. Uh, considered a number twenty wide receiver in twenty four seven sports rankings, a four star prospect, and he says you know he would like to make a decision by September. So. That's looking like another spot where the visits he has already made may be the only visits he makes before a, a decision. Still contemplating baseball, Sean. That was a conversation that came up early in his recruiting process. Desire to play both sports. I think he's he said he's kind of realized that would be maybe a bigger task than he had initially thought. Playing for two different Division One college programs, baseball and football, sounds a little less sure about that than he did earlier on in the process. But uh, he, this is a guy who says he's built a, a pretty solid relationship with Taylor Stubblefield. As I said, he's been on the board since the spring of 2019 as a freshman. Uh, he's gotten a lot of love uh, from the Penn State staff as a potential special teams returner, as a slot receiver. They've tossed around K.J. Hamler comparisons with him during conversations. And, uh, you know, this is one where he's, he's a name that has consistently kind of circled back to Penn State, circled back to Penn State. I don't know where this one lands if a decision comes in September, but I think you got to feel pretty good about the Nittany Lions' chances and, and, and a few of his other options, Arizona State, Notre Dame. Um, but, you know, I think the Nittany Lions have been right there, and our latest conversation didn't do anything to dissuade me. He's a guy I viewed for a while as a possible first commitment in this class. There, I mean, there was a time when Penn State was the outright number one, no questions asked about it. Now, granted, that was when Jared Parker was in town, so, you know, you sort of switch gears there. Of course, he's at West Virginia now. West Virginia is in the picture. Notre Dame's still in the picture as well. But yeah, Penn State has kept up that relationship. James Franklin and the family pretty close uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how close you can be to a 2022 prospect because you can't just call these guys up anytime like the, the 2021s yet. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I do think Penn State 
Notre Dame, West Virginia, those three in the mix. Um, he, he came out with a top seven, could see a further cut coming at some point. I think September 25th, his birthday, is the time that uh, he said he wanted to make a commitment by. So, you know, it's, it's certainly one to consider. Um, you take a look at the top 247 rankings for uh, crystal ball picks, uh, four receivers with crystal ball picks for the Nittany Lions in that group, and Saunders is one of them. We're going to return our focus to the 2021 class, bring in Alan True, 24-7 sports recruiting analyst who is based in Michigan, which is where Penn State has done a lot of their work on the 2021 recruiting trail. We're going to hear about Budden, the King Twins, uh, Jalen Reed, and what else might be cooking for Penn State in the state of Michigan. Alan on the way. So is the five-star mailbag. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We now bring in a special guest. He's a fairly regular guest, but he's always special to us. Alan True, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst. We've talked to Alan a lot this cycle, mainly because of Penn State's uh, luck in Detroit, Michigan. You know, he's he's based out in Michigan. So uh, we're going to bring him back on, talk about the latest Nittany Lion commitment, Jamari Budden. Uh, Alan's a guy that has followed you know, that program, obviously has put some some really good kids into college, um, but he's followed Budden since pretty much he came onto the scene. So I guess the easy question, Alan, what's Penn State getting in Jamari Budden? Yeah, he did kind of, he came onto the scene uh, at a time where that school had so many top recruits that when he first won linebacker MVP at the opening regional a couple of years ago, everybody kind of went, who's that guy? Um, you know, Belleville's got another one and it's ironic because Kalen King was at the same camp and won defensive backs MVP and he was in a similar boat at that time. So those two guys really had to earn those MVP awards. Um, I, I, sometimes it gets joked about that those names are printed on the MVP certificate before the kids even show up to the camp. That was one of the examples where it was like there was no way those were the two guys they would have chosen before the camp. So both of those guys are now in Penn State's class. And both of them had to earn those awards. So Budden, super athletic at that time, obviously in a shorts and t-shirt setting with linebackers, that's what you're going to win that award off of. I think maybe got unfairly pegged at that point as a hybrid guy, as a only a great athlete kind of guy, because I went to his game last year and I thought he was really physical. And I, I thought he took on blocks well. With him being just north of 200 pounds at that time, you could see where he had the desire to be physical, but still needed to add the weight to do that. He's not done that. He's up to nearly 225 pounds, still you know, running and testing well. And uh, the one thing that I said on your board, too, that people may not see on the tape is that if you watch him play seven on seven and you watch him run around and do some things on the offensive side of the ball, he's got really good ball skills and just kind of spatial awareness and, and, and athleticism away from his body. I'm pretty convinced that Jamari Budden has huge upside. I, I know there's some skepticism. Part of that, I think, is because it took him a minute to fill in. Another reason is because on a team that good, he's just not going to make every tackle. He's got a five-star defensive tackle in front of him. Had a bunch of other college guys on that defense. Um, but uh, having seen him in person several times, uh, I think he's a fantastic get. Well, physically, he just jumps off the page at you. I mean, he's not too many better looking kids. It, I would say maybe his his huddle, I don't know if it would be considered doing him a disservice, but you look at what he does and he's the best athlete. Like he just goes and gets the ball. And, and that's something that is good in a sense that, yeah, he's, he's very productive, but you're not asking him to do a ton of things that he's going to be asked to do at the next level. So as you said, maybe gets unfairly pegged as a guy who you know can't move laterally, who can't play in coverage and and drop and everything. So, do you think that's a, a fair classification? Because I know you've seen more of him and some of the stuff that you've posted on our board in terms of workouts, in terms of him moving. You know, seems to be more than is on the surface with that huddle. 
Yeah, I agree. And then that's why I posted some of that. You know, when a kid commits to a school, we don't often, I'm not often going back and digging up all this workout footage. But for him, I thought it was necessary because I do think it shows some things that you don't see off of the huddle. And you have to remember when you take into context of, and I've known his head coach um, for a number of years, when you have a team that's made up the way their team is made up, when you had Andre Selden, who's going to Michigan playing cornerback, and you have Deshaun Lee, who's a power five cornerback. You have Christian Rapley, who Penn State just offered uh, as a power five safety. You had Miles Rouser, who was committed to Michigan as a safety. When you have that kind of secondary, you can just send a guy like Jamari Budden. You're not really worried about your secondary getting beaten one-on-one too much. And then, you know, like I said, you got a five-star defensive tackle in front of you. So you're not asking Jamari Budden to really do what other traditional linebackers might do and really kind of flow and get to the ball and, and, and you know, read and react and make every tackle you're asked you're more just sending him you can you can attack him at that point that's a lot of what they did last year you see a lot of his clips on the edge so that's why i think some of the seven on seven stuff uh some of the workout stuff maybe that shows you a little bit more than what you see with the huddle yeah i would agree i would agree and penn state obviously a lot of uh i guess luck uh in michigan tim banks has has done a phenomenal job with those guys where do you where do you see penn state standing right now i mean they they seem to be you know, probably close to finish with the 2021 class out there. There's still a couple of targets that they're still going after. But how do you see this sort of success playing over to maybe future classes? Yeah, with Michigan, you know, I think everybody's going to ask in this class about Ray Sean Benny and about Donovan Edwards. I think it's fairly unlikely at this point that Penn State gets both of those guys. It's pretty unlikely, I think, maybe that they would even get one, but they're still battling and kind of in the game with those kids. So where I think the next mark in Michigan probably comes is in the following class where they've offered a number of guys. We talked about Christian Rapley, who's a little bit like uh, Budden in that he suffers a bit from being on a team that's that's so talented, maybe doesn't show everything he can do on film, especially because he was hurt last year, unless you see him in a camp setting. Penn State's going to be right there with him. They're, they're in the game on guys like Dylan Tatum, who is uh, Donovan Edwards' teammate. Um, and, and they've offered Christian Stokes who has quickly kind of risen here recently. He's maybe the guy in the 22 class in the state that's, that's, uh, risen up the kind of the rankings and ratings the most here recently. Jaden Mangum, who's from Birmingham Groves has been in regular contact with the staff. So there's several guys there in this class that uh, I think Penn state's going to definitely be a factor for in Michigan. Beyond Michigan, you're obviously in the Midwest, some, Potential fireworks, uh, some avoided fireworks, I guess you could say. A, f- a funny situation on Friday with Jerry Cross. Uh, just kind of, uh, I don't know, we kind of stumbled into it. But this is a guy that you followed before. Uh, I think he's a tight end all the way, six five six six. Um, as a rising junior, he's a four star in the twenty four seven sports rankings. What do you think of Jerry Cross, and what do you think of that 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 whole situation? Yeah. So first, I had a chance to see him in seven on seven uh, in the winter. And that was a good experience. He was one of the guys I, I felt like I needed to see because on his film, he's just so much bigger and better than everybody else. He almost doesn't have to leave the ground to win jump balls against some of the guys he's playing against, 6'6", 218. They're in Milwaukee. So it's seven on seven. Uh, we had a chance to see him maybe run a little bit more of the route tree, go against guys who are more at his ability level, some guys that are at least close uh, to his size. Jaden Mangum was actually one of those guys. And you see a kid who has all of the upside and tools in the world. And, and I'm with you. I, I think being that big right now, you project a couple of years down the road to what he could be as a tight end, especially with what schools want in a tight end these days. Um, he's going to be a guy who's going to move all around the formation, going to really be able to create some mismatches and, and still potentially be a split out hybrid type of tight end. I don't really see him having his hand in the dirt a, a ton, even if he, he grows into his frame. So then as far as recruiting goes, I mean, I think uh, that's always a unique situation for kids, especially now with COVID and 22 guys, maybe feeling like they got to move the process up. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that that was part of the case here. I think in a different year, uh, maybe that doesn't happen. And, and maybe he's already been to Happy Valley in the summer. So I'm, I'm thinking that the situation maybe created uh, and then the situation in the world maybe created this unusual occurrence with his recruitment. I think if you're Penn state, you got to feel good that a kid from Wisconsin, which it's 
pretty rare that Wisconsin kids leave that state. Uh, you got to feel good that that kid is that interested in Penn State. So I think the biggest thing moving forward is that you hashed it out, you talked about it, you make sure that that situation doesn't affect your standing with the kid and you continue to move through the process and get to know each other to a point where then you feel comfortable taking that commitment. And Wisconsin's loaded in, in 2022. They've got six guys in the top 247 rankings. Uh, Pennsylvania has eight, but you don't think of Wisconsin. You don't put Wisconsin on the same level as, as Pennsylvania when you're talking about high school uh, recruiting rankings and things like that. Alan, just very curious before we go, you mentioned the COVID situation. I mean, what, do you, what are you seeing from a national perspective, from a Midwest perspective uh, on the, the influence that this has had on the 2021 class and then moving into the 2022? I know you touched on it, but how much do you see this? And obviously there's plenty of unknowns out there, but how much do you see this uh, affecting things moving forward from, from this point to signing day and then beyond for the next class? Now, in 21, it created an early rush of commitments, but for the most part, the timeline has kind of held true. Kids committed in the spring and in the summer. And now we usually get a little bit of deadness in July, which it's slowed down to this point. Um, so you have a lot of, you have a lot of um, classes that are largely going to be done by the point at which a college season would normally kick off. And that's not too unusual. I think where we're trying to see if how much change there is, is how many kids circle around and maybe decommit or, or, or look at other schools. But even that was becoming more common, much more common before COVID. So uh, it's changed the way that recruits have gone about things. It has changed the way that schools have gone about things. But as far as like number of commits, and when those commits happen, 2021 class, not super affected. I think towards the end of this class, it'll be interesting to see if kids start flipping and schools have to go into their plan B and plan C lists. Can they do that if there's not high school football in a number of states? Um, and when you look at the 21 class, a lot of the guys who are committed were evaluated last year and evaluated last summer at camps. Now, you don't have that in the 22 class. So I'm curious if the 22 offering will slow down here without schools having the benefit of working with those guys. Um, but, but a lot of schools have gone to the virtual setting. Penn State was one of the front runners in that. And I think that's, that's kind of made up, um, helped them make up some ground as far as those missing pieces of the, the evaluations. It's been fascinating. I mean, and, and I think I'm on record in terms of I don't expect to see visits in the fall. And that's going to, uh, of course, bleed over into the potential flip season and things like that. So it's just been, it's been remarkable. Uh, how, how have you felt as a national guy, you know, with Penn state, they've certainly taken a bunch of body shots here throughout the process and throughout the last couple of months in terms of not getting anything. But uh, do you think schools, uh, you know, how, how do you think schools have handled this and programs that, that you cover have handled this in terms of, you know, trying to make this as normal as possible? I think they've done a good job with it. And I think the kids have too. And, and everybody has, the whole world has had to adjust and, and the whole world has had to turn to more virtual meetings and settings and all that. And college football is no different. You know, at the end of the day, um, there's still the same amount of scholarships to fill and they have to get filled somehow. And, and kids have to build these relationships somehow. So they're, they're, they're still doing it. And, and obviously all the technology that's available helps. Uh, I'm interested to see, and when we go back and look back on this class in 10 years, will the evaluations that the schools made, did they suffer at all? Um, will they have swung and missed on some guys or will they be just as accurate? And maybe more will be done virtually in the future. That, that's something I think to pay attention to in the next five to 10 years. But in general, I think everybody in the recruiting world has, has moved forward as best they can. Uh, unless, you know, mitigating circumstances, you feel bad for a program like Michigan State who gets in the new coaching staff and isn't able to get kids on campus or evaluate guys um, at their own camp. I think unless it's something like that, uh, schools have moved ahead pretty well. And even they have, you know, double digit commits by this point. Well, you are on the Penn State uh, podcast by Lions 24-7, so probably not going to be too many people feeling too bad for Mel Tucker and Michigan State right now, obviously, with the land-grant trophy up for grabs between the two schools, you know, all, all things are out the window. So, um, But Alan True uh, of 24-7 Sports, always a great guest on our show. We thank you for joining us. We hope to have you on again, because if we have you on again, that means Penn State's probably doing something good in the Midwest, um, and, you know, we like good news here. So, Alan, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. 
All right. Thanks again to Alan. We will certainly have him on again in the future here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Keeping the focus for a, another minute or so on Jamari Button. He was one of the high school players selected for the Buckus Award watch list going into the 2020 season. Surely, like any high school accolade at this point, going to be impacted by when the football season is actually played. But Button, one of the linebackers, uh, they give out the buckets at the college level. Micah Parsons, no surprise, leads the watch list uh, for 2020. But at the high school level, a couple years ago, we saw Brandon Smith as a national finalist for linebacker of the year. Now, Budden featured on that list, and I think that just further reflects, Sean, um, this is a kid who, you know, maybe Penn State fans, sh- I feel like I feel like his his commitment came and gone, and, it, and, it, and there maybe wasn't as much excitement about this kid as a prospect, rather than just there was excitement that Penn State had added a piece to its class after some less than stellar recruiting news for a couple of months. Uh, there's a lot to like about this, what this kid brings to the linebacker room. He won't have the five-star accolades that we've seen from some of the recruits that have signed in recent cycles, but I think he fits in well. I think he's a versatile component. Um, not saying he's next Micah Parsons, but they're both on Buckus watch lists. Yeah, he's a good-looking kid. He can he can play. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that we've have had up on the site since the commitment from Alan True and and Steve Wilfong. Certainly, people around that Detroit area no stranger to what Jamari Budden brings to the table, and we'll see how that translates to the to the college level. All right, so I'm time for our five-star mailbag. Uh, by the way, P- Micah Parsons, Bednarik Award watch list, Buckus Award watch list, pretty much any watch list that's going to involve the defensive player. Expect him on there for 2020. Five-star mailbag time. Let's get into our first question from PSU Sports 7. This one goes directly to you, Sean. One question is why Sean didn't include any cornerbacks on his top 15 most important players list, something that we went over on the last episode. Can you maybe shed a little more light on this? Because it seems to be an area of concern in years past. I can think of multiple occasions where cornerbacks have been burned in losses in big games going back to 2017. I think Castro Fields can be the real deal and hope this is the case, but I do think it's extremely important to have at least one lockdown corner and think he can be the guy. Well, Castro Fields shouldn't really factor into the 2021 cycle too much because he'll be gone when when those guys get to campus. Nice crop of young uh, cornerbacks, but I'll, I'll let you take this one, Sean. Yeah, and and that's fair, and I think we we reflected on that afterward and said there's no corners on there. I mean, 15 positions, something's got to give. What what I see there is the group of corners I think is really good, and I think it's fairly close together. So, like we mentioned with the running backs, um, you got guys that are you know very talented, and it's a high level position, but at the same time, those guys are lumped in. So I don't know that anybody is more important than the other. Say Castro Fields can't get it done. Do you plug in a Marquise Wilson there? Keaton Ellis is certain there. Joey Porter Jr. We've heard some really good things about. So I think it's a good position group. And also I think the corners, and I and I, I don't know how many times I got to say this, but the corners last year were a lot better than you think they were. And, and the safety problems are really what was at the root of that defense, especially in the secondary. Um, when you had to man up, I mean, John Reed was, was really good. Um, you know, so I, I don't see the issue as a corner issue as much. Now, obviously they need to step up and make some of those big plays, get their hands on the football and things like that but as a whole just not really worried about the uh the cornerback position and and to me the development of those safeties is very much uh at the forefront of that the uptick in defensive end pass rush is is very big and of course i think pj mustafer was in there as well and and parsons of course and 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 so i think i just think there's more important spots and when you play in the big 10 and you know let's be honest they're going to switch to a big 10 on all big 10 schedule this year I mean, not a ton of uh, passing attacks that really scare you. I mean, obviously Ohio State's there, um, but you know, beyond that, you you don't look at anybody and, and really be terrified. Maybe you throw Indiana in there because of what they've been able to do the last couple of years, and and Michael Penix is a very talented arm uh, at, at quarterback there, but. You know, I just don't see cornerback as the top level. Now, obviously, I think it's important. Obviously, I think it's, uh, you know, a spot where, you know, you can you can certainly change games in an instant. And we've seen guys like Marquise Wilson start to get their nose around the football and, and do some really good things. But as a whole, as a position group, I don't know that there's one guy that's, that sort of shines out above the rest and, and, and really uh, just sort of separates himself. I'd like for Castro Fields to be that guy, no doubt about it. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you're just not sure what this unit's going to look like come, uh, well, our regular October, our regular November. 
Maybe you throw Peyton Ramsey and Northwestern on that list too. Uh, maybe more so than Indiana because of, of what he has done against Penn State during recent years with, with his pri- prior stop with the Hoosiers. And, um, you know, I think you look at the cornerback group and that 2019 class certainly buys you a little bit of time, I think, in developing younger cornerbacks. A guy like Joseph Johnson uh, who showed up on campus in January. You know, Daquan Hardy continued to hear great things about what he's doing behind the scenes. Joey Porter, a little bit more active on the field last year, albeit taking a redshirt as well. And, of course, Wilson, Keaton Ellis, those are two guys that you expect to, to you know, be huge contributors, not just this year, but next year as well. Um, so I, I think that that's a nice little bit of a, a cushion for whatever you've got coming in behind that class. Cause I, right now it seems like that, that, that four player 2021 cornerback group is a big hit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, I mean, I think we're still talking about 2020 here, but, um, yeah, you've got, uh, Porter that can be, I don't know that he can be an X factor, but he can be a guy that goes a long way. We've seen them play four and five corner. I mean, you think, Back to 2016, how important was Jordan Smith as a fifth corner? I mean, he he eventually came in and made some big plays. So um, get to work through that. Uh, I'm curious to see where Daquan, Daquan Hardy fits into all of this. I mean, does is he your slot corner, uh, a guy that can play the nickel? Uh, is he even ready to play? I mean, there's just a lot of questions there. So I think it's an important position. But in terms of, uh, you know, just sort of generally narrowing the scope on the positions that have the most impact on this uh, 2020 team, I, I just don't have near the top of the list yeah and of course that's my mistake I'm, I'm thinking long term with this list when it was obviously geared towards the 2020 season so uh apologies for, for being on a different wavelength there um from S- always think always <laughs> thinking ahead that's right from sec country lion another question another one that uh related to recruiting in a hypothetical situation if you were a first year head coach would you rather have penn state's 2018 class or 2019 class be the first class your staff brings on board and this is one that we took a look at before the show started Sean and I said well what version of the 2018 class are you giving me are you giving me the one that signed in December 2017 and in February 2018 with Rashid Walker coming on board or are we talking about the one that you know reached the field for its first season and by that time you lost a couple blue chips in cornerback Jordan Minor, offensive tackle Nana Asedu, to something you had no control over, heart conditions that were detected prior to enrollment or, in Miner's case, after enrollment. Yeah, five members of that 2018 class have either moved on or had to medically retire. Of course, very unfortunate with Nana and, and Jordan Minor. Um, but uh, Justin Shorter's gone. Ricky Slade's gone. Uh, Isaiah Humphreys is gone. So, you know, out of 23 players, uh, I'm not a math guy, but that's a big, pretty big chunk of those 23 players. Now, I looked at the question. I thought 2018 right away. I mean, I just Micah Parsons, Pat Fry, I mean, those guys, you know, 2018 is the best class that they've brought in. Um, but 2019, no slouch there. What I looked at was where did we look at the 2018 class at this time last year? And you had starters, you know, kind of all over the place. Micah Parsons, Friar Muth, Rashid Walker was going to start. Jason Owe, even though he wasn't going to start, was going to be a big part of that. Same with Mustafer. Shorter was going to start. Slade was going to start. So you had just after one year on campus, you had a pretty good idea of the nucleus of this class, what they would bring to the table as starters. Now, on the flip side of that, We've also gotten an extra year with them, which means we've had more time to sort of run them through the ringer and see what happened. Guys like Shorter and Slade, not here anymore, and and you see why. And there's some other guys on that list that you're kind of like, okay, well, I'm not sure that's really going to work out for these guys. Haven't quite gotten there with the 2019 class. But you look at the 2019 class, at, at the top of that group, I mean, you've got Brandon Smith, who's who's projected as a starter. Adisa Isaac, who's sort of in that same boat that Jason Away was in last year and that he's going to play a lot, even if he's not the starter. Noah Kane in that same situation. Those two corners, uh, you know, Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson, and also going to play a lot. So I'm going to still lean to 2018 just because of the overall depth and spread out nature of that class. And then you've got two bona fide All-Americans going into their junior years in uh, Micah Parsons and Pat Frymuth. Uh, of course, Rasheed Walker, I'm obviously irrationally high on. Um, so, you know, there's there's still a lot of potential in that 2019 class. You add Devin Ford in there as a really good player. Caden Wallace still has a bright future. So um, back-to-back classes that are really, really, really good. Um, it's just a matter of, I think, the top of that 2018 class sort of carries over. And what's interesting about that is if I'm a first-year coach, I, I don't know that I want either of these as my first class, but I'll take them as my second or third class because you want to sort of build up there. Um, from a strictly speaking 
uh, first year head coach, you want as many early impact guys as you can. And that's going to go with the 2018 guy, uh, the 2018 group. And remember, this group was told, you know, both of these groups were told, hey, you're you're the you're the component that's going to take us from great to elite. You are the missing recruiting classes. Uh, take us from being that Big Ten title team that that did it with a lot of you know three stars, and you're going to come in, infuse this with a different level of talent, infuse the depth chart, make it more of that competitive nature that that Penn State wants to enforce at every position. And then you can take it to another level. Now, both of these classes, they got time to do that. I think the 18 class, we've seen it kind of chipped away at a little bit when you remove, you know, shorter and slayed from the equation less than three years into their college career. That's not great. Um, I mentioned those two heart conditions that they dealt with. What about Juice Scruggs? I mean, the top lineman on either side of the football in Pennsylvania's 2018 recruiting class. Uh, one, you know, one year into his time on campus, he gets into a car accident that sets back his development. And, uh, you know, th- that's unfortunate. But I think this 2019 class, the more I think about it, uh, you know, what we saw some of these guys do right away and, and specifically with, with Kane and Ford uh, in that backfield and, and, and being, you know, potential cornerstones for the offense moving ahead as things develop. You know, I think it's going to be guys like Brandon Smith, Adiza Isaac. What do we get from them in, in year number two? Who are we high on in this class that maybe isn't going to live up to those expectations as a sophomore? Because that's when you start to see things get exposed with a 2018 class. I think their second year on campus, certain guys didn't live up to what we thought they were going to didn't make the kind of on-field impact that we thought we were they were going to make and just like it you know you're trying to cultivate all american talent out of your classes you're trying to avoid guys that go by the wayside and medical situations completely different but what you're trying to avoid is too many guys getting buried on that depth chart and becoming apparent that they're roster fodder and you're looking at kind of when are they going to enter the transfer portal you're trying to avoid having a significant percentage of that class in class out you know, great teams will deal with that. Every team's going to deal with it. It's an attrition thing. Um, but but right now, I think when you look at the 2019 group um, and, and what it could bring to the table long term, I, I think it's a little bit of recency bias now. But I, I may be kind of swayed you talk over. yourself into it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I'm looking at you know the the what where are the positions in the 2018 class that I'm concerned about? What, what units? Rasheed Walker. I, I don't think you're you're out of place putting a lot of confidence in, in his future. I, I'm right there with you. I, I think this kid this kid is everything you hoped he would be as a top ten offensive tackle prospect, and I expect him to take a, a move forward with that. But that offensive line group now from 2018. What is Bryce Efner going to become for you? Because you're without Nana Sedu, and, and that was going to be a heck of a, a tackle tandem. If Juice Scruggs is on the men, I think his rehabilitation process and getting reacclimated will be very important to how we review that 2018 class overall. But the defensive backfield, for as much as we, I, I was just talking about the, the cornerback group in 2019, as I misunderstood the, the previous mailback question, um, that 2018 defensive backfield group, all you got left is Trent Gordon, who's now going to be over at safety going to be a second or third guy for you there i would imagine during his third year on campus but the others are gone um you know and and minor was a medical issue isaiah humphreys left and, and that was not a pretty situation um but you know i think those two spots in the field wide receiver is a tough one for me i feel like daniel george is very much going to tip it one way or the other because if if you're not going to get starters reps out of daniel george or if he's not ready to really emerge as a, a very meaningful part of this passing attack and a productive part of this passing attack and it's only Jahan Dotson who's really rising to that level out of that three wide receiver class. I think that's a, a pretty big disappointment overall because each of them were blue chips. Shorter, of course, was the headliner as the number one overall wide receiver in the country. But, uh, you know, I think if you don't get anybody but Jahan Dotson really running routes as a, as a, as a key target for your team and, and taking it to another level with the passing attack, that's a big red, big, big red flag as we evaluate the 2018 class. And, I think there's a lot of great personalities in there. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of impressive players who have had their chance to shine and will build on that. Guys like Jesse Lucetta um, will have a chance to take a step forward this year. Judge Culpepper, another guy. But I think based on where we're at in their development, uh, this 2019 class, I, I really think you're, you're going to maybe see more faces and names out there uh, making an impact, trying to get towards that college football playoff push in the next two years. But as of right now, I think it's it's a lot easier to be kind to a recruiting class based on one year in. It's it's a little bit more difficult, and it's easier to poke holes in a class when you're two years into their career. So that's kind of where I have some issues with 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 weighing these two options. No, I think you're absolutely right, and we've we've had time to scrutinize that 
one group and the other one, you know, we, we hear good things about, you know, redshirt freshmen like Hakeem Beeman and Smith Vilbert and these guys. But until they get out there, you know, you're not sure exactly what's going to happen. So we will see what happens uh, a year from now when we talk about this versus the 2020 class. I just have a tough time forgetting how that 2018 class came in and sort of unseated those guys ahead of them and sort of, you know, took it from them in terms of, you know, these different spots. And we saw that mass uh, sort of uh, the first year of the transfer portal when a lot of those older players who had been passed up, you know, sort of went back in. And, and I think there's a reason for that. And I think the 2018 or excuse me, the 2018 class was, you know, just sort of a different breed. And that's really where, excuse me, where I'm going to keep going with that. And I mean, look, this conversation probably, you know, what if this, this 2018 class supplies its own replacement for Pat Fryermuth and Zach Kuntz is, is ready to step up when Fryermuth goes on and, and he, you know, lives up to that potential we've talked about for years. And, and all of a sudden he's a dominant tight end and you get two of those out of the same class who kind of overlap each other. You know, there's a lot of things and, and a lot of promise for, for, for the 2018 class. This is by no means a, a, a decided outcome at this stage, by the way. Uh, when 24-7 Sports evaluated each of these classes, throw the composite aside, I was reminded that they actually had the 2019 class number three overall in the country, the 2018 class number seven. Composite actually placed that 2019 group outside of the top 10, but 24-7 very, very high. Um, looking at the 2021 class currently constructed uh, number 28 in the nation uh, based on 24-7 sports assessment. So at a different tier um, so far, when we're talking about the 18 and 19 classes that are going to be so important about the foundation of the 2020 roster. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that's that. And I think we're about time. But yeah, that's, uh, you know, two two very, very good classes back together or back to back together. And a lot of guys that, that, you know, can change games. And that's what we're looking at where, you know, when you take a look at you take 23 guys, you know, you want the top half of that class or at least the top half that that ends up producing to be those guys to, that compete with Ohio State, not not just the guys that make it a solid class, the guys that compete with Ohio State, the guys that can get you to that playoff. And I think those are those are two two really good classes and with guys that can do that. And a good tiebreaker for these classes, when we look back four years from now, three years from now, might be the quarterback position. It is Sean Clifford's replacement, and 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 I'm talking about a high-quality, productive replacement waiting in the wings from one of these classes. Is it Will Levis from that 18 group? That was supposed to be – that was Justin Fields' spot for a long time. Will Levis, is he going to be the guy and, 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 and step up, or is Taquan Roberson going to be that guy, or will they both be leapfrogged long-term by someone like Christian Veyu or a transfer – those two quarterbacks, I think, also going to help determine this case as we move on. Um, we're going to move on now from this episode. Big thanks to Alan True for joining us to talk about Jamari Budden and the Michigan crew that has made the Penn State recruiting class um, take on a very different look during recent months. Um, thanks to Sean Fitz, as always. We'll be back with you later on with a fresh episode this week, planning to bring you that Elite 11 conversation The president of Elite 11, Brian Stumpf, joined us for a nice in-depth conversation about Christian Veyu. What stood out? What does he still have to work on? And what is Penn State getting in their 2021 quarterback commit? Uh, Something to look ahead to on the next edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, we'll step aside. Wishing you all a great day.